snowy edition of Worcester Talking News, brought to you by Worcester News and Equipment Service for the Blind, which includes anyone with a visual impairment who is unable to read a newspaper. We have the permission of the Worcester News and we're recording on the first day of spring, meteorologically, Thursday, March the 1st. Um, we'll see how we go and how the snow comes down, but you might have a shortened... Um, uh, news this week but anyway we'll see how we go. I'm Elizabeth Hill and with me in the engineering booth is Duncan Wynn and round the table Sally and Ian Rowe and we've all braved some very dodgy snowy roads this evening. I think uh, Carol Hartle will have done clerical work and um, I guess copying is probably going to be down to Duncan. <laughs> He's nodding. May I extend a very warm welcome to any new listeners and I hope you enjoy our offering and I hope you are all keeping warm and inside. You will hear some emergency telephone numbers, what's on in the local theatres. We have the obituaries, the thought for the week, we'll open the birthday book, do tell us yours if we don't already have it. And the past week's headlines, sunrise and sunset times, so that you can adjust your lighting to suit. Then we'll have stories of interest from the past week. Now, a very important announcement is our annual general meeting, which will be held here at Colin Chance House at 6.30pm on Tuesday the 13th of March. That's 11 Wilds Lane in Worcester. And uh, we'll have some refreshments. And we really do hope that you will be able to join us because it really is nice to put faces to voices on both sides. So Tuesday, the 13th of March, 6.30pm here at 11 Wilds Lane. Uh, the service is quite free to users. We are a registered charity. If anyone does wish to make a donation, however, it can be sent to Colin Chance House here in Wilds Lane, WYLDS in Worcester, WR51DA. And we do thank uh, those listeners who have actually made donations. It does um, enable the service to continue. We do like to hear from you. If you have any suggestions or any complaints, let us know. Add a message in your wallet or leave a message on the answer phone. 01905 I'm now going to hand over to Sally who will give you some um, useful telephone numbers and also she's going to tell us what's on in the local theatres. Right, well, uh, starting with the phone numbers, Worcester Live is 01905 Malvern Theatre 01684 The Norbury Theatre 01905770154 and the Infirmary Museum 01905542373 Then some emergency numbers Crime Stoppers is 0800 Triple five, triple one. Non-emergency number for the police is one o one, and NHS Direct is one one one. 
out-of-hours medical assistance between the hours of 6 and 8 is 0300 123 3211 and the Worcester hub is 01905 765 765. So now I'll start with some uh, events, some concerts and Coffee concert, starting with a coffee concert here in um, in Worcester, in St Martin's and St Peter's Church in the London Road. This is a bit ahead. It's not until Saturday the 24th of March at 10.15. They have a coffee concert um, and there's a piano duo, Jill Stiles and Richard Walker, will present a programme of romantic music by Rachmaninoff, Kachaturian, Debussy and Poulenek as well as songs by Rachmaninoff. It's a free event with donations to St Richard's Hospice. Um, you don't have to have a ticket, you can just turn up. Um, coffee, tea and homemade cakes, which I know are very good, um, on Saturday, March the 24th at 10.15. And also um, at St Martin's on Saturday the 17th of March, from 10 till 12.15, is a messy church. For children, a well-loved craft event, um, the theme being Palm Sunday. Then continuing on in Worcester, and continuing with the children's theme, on Saturday the 3rd, which is this Saturday, in the morning, 10.30, and again at 11.45, there's a children's show at the Swan Theatre, and that's called Balloons for Sale, Fun, Songs and Audience Participation for two to nine-year-olds. Then also on Saturday at the Huntington Hall at 7.30 is Judy Zook singing Peace Has Broken Out on her Peace Has Broken Out tour. After the countrywide sellout success of the Songs and Stories tour, Judy is back on the road performing more of her special acoustic concerts, celebrating the release of her long-awaited album. And then also on Saturday in Worcester, but at the Swan Theatre at 7.30, is Jive Talkin' perform the Bee Gees. Timeless repertoire of the Bee Gees is brought to life in this stunning stage production that is taking the country by storm. Then, on a more serious note, uh, next week, the young rep at the um, Swan Theatre are producing Macbeth. So every night from the 6th of March to the 10th of March at 7.30, tickets are just £10 and they're celebrating the 50th anniversary of the Worcester Rep Company. Then on Thursday the 8th at the Huntingdon Hall is another duo, Peter Knight and John Spears. In the summer of 2016, the organisers of Folk East Festival had the grand idea of pairing legendary fiddle player Peter Knight, who is ex-Steely Span, and mel melodian player extraordinaire John Spears, ex-Bellowhead, for a special one-off concert at the end of that year's festival. And now they're playing again for us at the Huntingdon Hall. Then next Saturday at the 10th of March, 7.30 at the Huntington Hall, is Alan Cochran, a grumpy, joyful, silly, serious stand-up. Jokes, ideas and possibly movement will be deployed for your amusement during this show. 
Uh, apparently, he appears on various radio shows recommended for over 16s. So that's a week or so ahead here in Worcester. But then over in Malvern, we've got um, the Borderlines Film Festival, which started on the Friday the 23rd of February and continues till Sunday the 11th of March. It's a prestigious, lively film festival um, taking place in Malvern Theatre and 25 other venues across Herefordshire, Shropshire and the Marches. And they have a website with all the details at borderlinesfilmfestival.org. Then on Sunday the 4th of March is another musical event at Malvern, Buddy Holly and the Crickets with the English Rock and Roll Orchestra, the 60th anniversary tour. So that should be a, a fun, loud event, I think. And then in the theatre next week, from Tuesday the 6th until Saturday the 10th, is Monty Python's Spamalot. And that's every evening at 7.30, but there's also matinees on Wednesday and Saturday at 2.30. Uh, one more thing. On Wednesday the 14th of March, Lucy Worsley has talking um, doing a talk entitled Jane Austen at Home. Dr Worsley is passionate about making history engaging to the widest possible audience and Jane Austen at Home looks at new, takes a new look at the author's life. And then one more musical on the 8th of March, Thursday the 8th, at 5 o'clock and again at 8 o'clock, Menopause the Musical, the number one girl's night out. So a real variety of things on offer in the area in the next week or two. Thank you, Sally. Right, um, on to more serious matters. Um, those who've passed away recently, and there aren't uh, too many this week, fortunately. Uh, Oriel Packington um, passed away on February the 16th. Um, her funeral se- service took place on February the 27th. Um, donations, if desired, for St Richard's Hospice or St John's Church, Parochial Church Council, can be sent to E.J. Gummery and Son, 6870 Ombersley Road, Worcester, WR37EU. Also taking place uh, is the funeral of Betty Evans, née Chilton, who passed away on January the 22nd. Um, she had a, a service <coughs> to celebrate her life on February the 28th. Uh, Donations for RSPB, again, can be sent to E.J. Gumry and Son. Funerals still to take place. Irene Smith passed away February 14th. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium, Monday, March the 5th, at 10.15am. Donations, if desired, for the Silver Oncology Ward, can again be sent to EJ Gummery and Sun details as before. June Ada Williams passed away January 31st. Service at Worcester Crematorium on Tuesday the 6th of March at 2.30pm. Uh, donations for Arthritis Research UK can be left in the box or sent to AV Band Funeral Directors, but flowers are also welcome uh, for June. 
Joan Shaw passed away February the 8th. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Thursday, March the 8th at 10am. Donations for Midlands Air Ambulance or Deaf Direct can be left in a collection plate or sent to EJ Gumrinson. Details as before. Llewellyn Desmond, known as Des Hobbs, passed away January 31st. A service to celebrate his life will take place at Worcester Crematorium on March the 8th at 10.45am. Donations, if desired, to Alzheimer's Society can be sent to AV Band, 41 St Nicholas Street, Worcester, WR1 1UW. Peter Sidney Freeman of Fernal Heath and Northwick passed away February the 2nd. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium, Thursday, March the 8th at 12.15pm. Donations, if desired, for the League of Friends for the benefit of the Stephen Bailey Suite at the Alexandra Hospital can be sent to EJ Gummery and Sunday tells us before or left on the plate. Elizabeth, known as Liz Steer, passed away on February the 10th. Funeral service at Clanes Church on Friday the 9th of March at 2.30pm. Donations for Worcester Citizens Advice Bureau and the Scouts. Please make any checks payable to Bedwardine Funeral Services Charity Account. Can be left at church or sent to Bedwardine Funeral Services. Their telephone number is 01905 748811. And finally, Paul Grooms, who passed away February 14th. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Tuesday, March the 13th at 12.15pm. Donations to the Friends of Fort Royal School, care of Bedwardine Funeral Services, details as before. Um, our thoughts and prayers do go to all of those who have lost loved ones recently. And thought for the week is from um, the Gospel of St John, chapter 8, verse 12. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said... I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And now, contrast, we have Ian with the birthdays, the headlines, the sunrise and sunset, and the first headline story. Thank you. Yes, thank you. There are just two birthdays this week. Michael Wynne uh, on the 1st of March and Stanley Burden on the 3rd of March. Uh, Many happy returns to you both. Uh, The headlines for the week. (coughs) Drug needles dumped. Mum's tribute to Lewis, 15. Man stabbed in car park fight. Traders jailed for £54,000 fraud. Ex-uni student faces jail. Paedophile jailed for abusing girls. Now the sunrise, if it's apparent through the swirling snows, will be at 6.53am. The sunset at 5.48pm. And moving on now to our first headline story. 
A shocked resident has shared a picture of drug needles and wrappers dumped in a city car park. Jack Stanley found the paraphernalia in St Martin's Gate car park in Worcester. He feared that children might get their hands on the items and phoned the police to ensure they were removed. Mr Stanley of Morven said, I rang 101 to let them know and they replied, I will have to call the council in the morning as it's not their problem. It's not like it's a small amount either and we were worried because it's half term this week so there might be kids in the car park this morning. Sergeant Carl Jones of Worcester Cathedral Safer Neighbourhood team said police officers work with other local groups to deal with jumped, dumped paraphernalia. He said, nobody wants to see dirty needles. We all use the city in one way or another. The council shares this information with us and we target our patrols to deal with it. Cathedral Safer Neighbourhood team patrols the car park very regularly, as do the civil enforcement officers. In a case like this, we will meet with partners, including the council, but also MAGs, Caring for Communities and People, and Swanswell, to name but three. Sometimes, but not always, there is a rough sleeping element, and those partners will seek to support individuals in breaking away from their addictions and getting support and shelter. A Worcester City Council spokesman added that officers inspect the car park several times each day. The items were found on Sunday evening. The spokesman said, our staff are trained to safely remove and dispose of any dangerous materials they find, and that has already happened in this case. We also liaise closely with the police with regard to safety in the car park and the surrounding area. Anyone who finds discarded needles or other drugs paraphernalia can inform the council on www.worcester.gov.uk forward slash report hyphen it. A mum has paid tribute to her extraordinary teenage son who has died. <coughs> Louis Temple, 15, was a student at the Chantry School near Worcester and died on Sunday, February the, February the 11th, leaving his mum, Alison, dad, Wayne, and 12-year-old brother, Romy. He was larger than life in his character, said Mrs Temple of Starport on 7. I can't believe he was my son. He was a real people person. We're biased as parents, but he was something extraordinary. It's funny, we just hadn't realised how much kindness he had. He just wanted to make sure everybody smiled. If anyone looked a bit low, he cheered them up, took them under his wing. Mrs Temple explained that friends of her son made a tribute to him on the steps by the fountain on South Quay in Worcester because he loved to go there and look over the river. Louis, a keen bass guitar player, had had lessons and done work experience at the Swan Hotel in Starport, a popular music venue. He couldn't wait to be 16 because they'd told him to come back and work there, said his mum. It was just the sort of place that would have suited him. Mrs Temple said, The Chantry School, where younger brother Romy has just started, hosted two memorial services outside the music room where Louis hung round at break times with friends. She said at the informal services held on Thursday the 13th and Friday the 16th, her and her husband talked about Louis and what he meant to them. One by one, some of the children would come up, tears down their cheeks. They didn't know what to say. 
So we talked to them. We were all just remembering him together. After that, Louis's parents both agreed that the tributes should be taken home to let everybody at school have a fresh start after the half-term. Mrs Temple said the family were also raising money for a buddy bench to be put outside the music room for lonely pupils which the school have approved. The idea is anybody who passes the bench and sees someone there will stop and comfort them. A crowdfunding page has been set up for the bench and once it's installed a plaque will be um, installed in memory of Louis. He was lonely when he started at the school, explained Mrs Temple. He never forgot that and he always made sure nobody else was lonely or upset as a result. We want to continue the legacy that Louis carried through the school to make sure no one is sad or lonely or being bullied. He didn't do it on purpose, it was just his natural ability. In a statement, Chantry head teacher Dr Andrew Dickinson said, It is with the deepest regret that we have learnt of the sudden and untimely death of Louis Temple, one of our Year 11 pupils. Louis was a tremendous character, bright, cheerful and always ready with a smile. He was a friend to so many. The school community is in shock. We are supporting our pupils as you would expect and will be opening a book of memories to remember and celebrate Louis. Our deepest sympathy and condolences go to Louis's family and friends. A man was reportedly stabbed during a fight in a supermarket car park before being taken to hospital. Harry Williams said he was the only witness to the alleged incident in the car park of Sainsbury's on Swanpool Walk in St John's on Friday, February the 23rd at around 11.30pm. The 18-year-old, also of St John's, called the police after watching a fight between two men which resulted in one sustaining stab wounds to his chin and the left side of his torso, he claimed. After calling treble nine, Mr Williams said seven officers, including an armed unit, arrived at the scene. They were arguing in the car park and having a scrap, he said, referring to the incident. Then one ran off with the knife and turned back to the other one on the ground and pointed the knife at him. Mr Williams, who was getting money out of the cash machine at the time, said he then saw the injured man hobbling away and I just saw all the blood. He said he called the police and attempted to follow the injured man but lost him. I didn't even see him face to face by the time I got over to where it happened. I last saw him and saw all of the blood and he was gone and that's when I phoned the police, he explained. Mr Williams said a dog squad, two armed response units and two normal police units quickly arrived at the scene. He said the injured man was tracked down and taken away in an ambulance while he gave a statement to the police officers before they gave him a lift home. Fraudulent traders are behind bars and banned from acting as company directors after fleecing customers out of £54,000 in seven months through their dodgy fashion packaging business. Company director Matthew Linus and sales director Paul Savage both admitted fraudulent trading while running the luxury bag and box company. The company sold high-end packaging to fashion retailers bridalwear businesses and florists, but failed to deliver the products. Linus and Savage also failed to reply to customers when they chased up their orders or fobbed them off with lies to keep them at bay, the court heard. 
Despite being unable to honour one order because of the precarious state of the business, Linus used £26,000 in cash from an international florist, Maison de Fleurs, to pay his rent, fund his rented Mercedes and to buy fashion items for himself. Linus, aged 30, of Hillwood Close, Worcester, and Savage, aged 37, of Bowden Green, Droitwich, appeared at Worcester Crown Court on Friday. Both pleaded guilty last November on what would have been the first day of their trial. The company began trading in January 2014, but was dissolved by September 2015. Although it was accepted that the company was set up with legitimate aims and ambitions, it was trading fraudulently by February 2015. By then the defendants knew there was a substantial risk that orders could not be fulfilled but carried on taking payments. During the company's life it acquired 47 customers, some of whom had been customers of Linus's father's company, Paclin. Of those customers, some eight or nine were known to have received what they ordered, but 32 were left receiving little or nothing, despite having paid all or at least 75% of the order value. However, the company went on to take in excess of £54,000 from its existing customers and five new customers over a seven-month period. Michael Hall, prosecuting, said the defendants professed to produce all goods in-house, but production was subcontracted to a supplier in China so they could offer cheaper prices to their customers. Chinese suppliers, eager to get a foothold in the British market, were lenient with Linus and Savage and did not ask for money up front, which made things look markedly better than they were, he said. Financial pressure on the company increased, as it did its VAT liability. The company never had a VAT number and at no stage was a VAT return completed. In December 2014, the company took an order of £80,000. Mr Hall said, It may well have been that through inexperience, negligence or ineptitude that the two defendants had deluded themselves up to this point that they could trade their way out of their difficulties. Here on in it was obvious that they could not. The position was hopeless. The fraud took two forms, taking new orders from their Chinese suppliers and abusing terms and conditions to extract final payments from customers without any hope of those clients receiving their orders. This, say the Crown, was simply stealing, said Mr Hall. With an overdrawn bank balance and unfulfilled contractual obligations of £175,000, Linus took almost £26,000 as a 75% deposit from Maison de Fleurs with no prospect of them ever receiving their order. Meanwhile, Linus was described as going on a personal spending spree in River Island, Louis Vuitton, Next, ZZ, JG Sports and Selfridges. In total, £2,600 went on payments for his rent and for his Mercedes, and £10,000 was transferred to Paclin 
the company once run by his father under the guise of a loan. Mr Hall said, All the while Linus and Savage had their backs against the wall. Customers tell of being unable to contact them, and when they were able to, they were met with a catalogue of untruths designed to keep them at bay. That Linus was in China, that the goods were at the port about to clear customs, that there had been a fire at the non-existent storage facility, that Linus was in hospital ill, that he had been in a car crash, and so on. Linus was a man of previous good character, aside from a public order offence, but Savage has served a prison sentence for fraud already. Richard Hull, for Savage, said his client was never registered as a director and invited the judge not to disqualify him from being a director, handing up powerful references on his behalf. He added, he never had any management function within this company. He never had access to the account. He was never entrusted with significant sums of money. Abigail Nixon, for Linus, handed up references to the judge. She said the case had the hallmarks of poor planning rather than a plan to defraud. She said, there's little doubt the company had severe cash flow problems. Miss Nixon said Linus had a hope, however vain, that the company could get itself out of its financial difficulties. He was not living a luxurious, glamorous lifestyle. He has shown remorse, she said. Judge Cartwright jailed Linus for 17 months and Savage for 14 months. Both were also disqualified from acting as directors for five years. A former university student who made false allegations against an innocent man has been warned she faces jail. Lottie Harris, described as a former University of, Stu university of Worcester student, had already admitted six counts of perverting the course of justice when she appeared at Worcester Crown Court to be sentenced. Judge Jim Tyndall adjourned the sentence for a psychiatric report to be prepared and apologised to the complainant in the case, watching from the public gallery. The defendant would not be sentenced on that day. <clears throat> Glancing up to the public gallery, he said, Having read his victim personal statement, I know the impact that her conduct has had upon him. However, he said, knowing whether or not the offending was linked to the defendant's mental health may help the complainant in coming to terms with what happened and what he wanted this issue explored before he passed sentence. The 23-year-old defendant, now of Romney Close Clacton-on-Sea, was supported by her family from the public gallery during the short hearing in court too. Details of the case were not discussed in open court, but are understood to involve repeated false allegations made to the police. Judge Tyndall said, I want to give you a warning. This case is all about you lying. If you lie to the psychiatrist because you think it will help, it won't. It will make it much, much worse. Be straightforward, be open. You need to prepare yourself for going to prison. Even if a mental health issue is diagnosed, it will take some pers persuasion not to send you to prison. The judge said he was troubled about the mismatch between the expectation created by a probation service report 
about the credit Harris would receive for her guilty pleas and what the Court of Appeal had said about similar cases such as that of Simpson in 2003 where the starting point was a three and a half year jail sentence. However, Mark Savage for Harris said he had realistically advised his client of the likelihood of custody, he said. There is no doubt this marches with ease through the custody gateway. The judge said that there was a big difference between someone repeatedly doing this out of spite or malice or someone doing it because of mental health problems. This scenario, he said, was hinted at in the pre-sentence report prepared by the probation service. However, there was as yet no medical report. He said if he believed Harris had acted out of spite, the starting point for sentence would be four or more years and that the sentence could not be suspended even after giving the defendant full credit for her guilty pleas. However, if there was a mental health dimension to the offending, it might be possible, theoretically, to suspend it. He said a third possibility also existed, that if Harris was not suffering from mental health problems at the time she committed the offences, but was suffering from them at the present time, such that prison would have a substantial impact on her, it might reduce the length of any immediate term of imprisonment significantly. The case will be next be heard on Monday, March the 26th, when it is hoped the psychiatric report will be available and Harris can be sentenced. And the final headline story. A predatory paedophile has been jailed for abusing underage schoolgirls online after a mother spoke in court of her horror. Christopher Sandell was described by Judge Tim, Jim Tyndall sorry, as Dr Jekyll and Mr Hyde, drawing two girls into his dark world and using them for his own pleasure. The 22-year-old of Toronto Close, Lowick, admitted three counts of inciting a girl aged under 16 to engage in sexual activity and was jailed at Worcester Crown Court. He first groomed a vulnerable girl online and then drew her friend into the abuse by persuading the girls to kiss each other at a sleepover. Siobhan Collins, prosecuting, said the first girl's initial contact with the defendant had been on May the 24th, 2016, via an internet chat rooms when she was 14 years old. He would ask her on webcam to perform sex acts on herself and send him indecent and explicit photographs of herself. Sandal also performed sex acts on himself before the contact progressed to Snapchat, which does not retain data. Sandal asked her if she wanted to play when she got home from school and would block and reinstate the complainant, which the girl recognised as a form of manipulation. He would tell her to talk dirty while at school. The girl told her friend that Sandal knew her age and did not care and added, he says I'm hot so it's cool. At a sleepover on January 22nd last year, he encouraged the girl and her friend to kiss over Skype. When the girls refused, he said, do this for me and I will leave you alone. They did as he asked, but the second girl who had been unable to deal with what had happened to her, told the first girl's mother, who then reported matters to police. She had also been concerned that her friend planned to meet Sandal and have sex. Sandal was arrested, giving a no-comment interview to police. 
the mother of one of the victims spoke of the impact on her family at court. She said, It came out of the blue. My daughter had never talked about boys or had a boyfriend before. The idea that she would go straight to having sex with an adult man she had only met online filled me with horror. She told the court that the more she learned of what had happened, the more distressed she became, describing her daughter as being on the verge of expulsion from school and telling the judge she would not be able to take all her exams. Fighting back tears, she said, This is all a consequence of this man grooming her and interfering with her emotional and social development and well-being. I have had to give up work so that I can support her in her rehabilitation towards normality and to recover from the damage caused to her by this predatory man. Jason Patel for Sandel said, It's the biggest regret of his life. He doesn't seek to justify his actions in any way, shape or form. In mitigation, Mr Patel referred to his previous good character, youth and early guilty pleas, which he said had been indicated at the magistrate's court. Judge Jim Tyndall said Sundell had exhibited a completely different character online to his real life, his testimonials appearing to show a perfectly ordinary young man. He said, in your case, it is really more a question of Dr Jekyll and Mr Hyde. This was not just selfishness. This was using children to satisfy your own needs without giving a moment's thought to the impact upon them. You instructed her to do these things over the webcam. You used her. What makes matters worse is that you then brought in another innocent teenage girl. There were two victims and the first feels guilty for bringing her friend into your dark world. Judge Tyndall jailed Sandal for four years, three years for the first complainant and a consecutive year for the second. A sexual harm prevention order was made for five years to restrict Sandal's contact with children and use of the internet. He must sign the sex offender register indefinitely. The judge also offered the forfeiture and destruction of the items seized during the police investigation. He said that although Sandal had shown belated insight and remorse, it was completely absent at the time. <coughs> and that concludes the headline stories. So I think Ian is going to give us a bit of um, a bit of uh, Worcester Warriors results. A bit of sport, yes. sport. thank you. An ill-disciplined and error-strewn display from Worcester Warriors kept London Irish's survival hopes alive as they slumped to a 22-9 defeat at the Majeski Stadium. Warriors had the chance to all but secure their place in the Aviva Premiership for the next season, with a third successive victory. But three crisp panel penalties were all Worcester could muster as they failed to create a try-scoring chance against the basement boys. Mistakes and a rising penalty count also cost them dear, as Piet van Zyl's first half try and 17 points from the boot of Greg Tonk saw the Exiles end a run of 14 straight league defeats. The gap between Worcester and Irish has now been cut to 12 points with six games left. Victories over leaders Exeter Chiefs and local rivals Gloucester had lifted the pressure off Warriors as they arrived in Reading full of confidence. Worcester also welcomed back influential scrum half Francois Hugard, 
who had overcome an ankle problem to start. But they suffered a double blow before kick-off as Jackson Willison pulled out with a hand injury and Jack Singleton had to withdraw with a back spasm. Willison's absence forced a reshuffle to Warriors' back line with Dean Hammond coming in on the wing, Pennell moving to outside centre and Wales ace Josh Adams dropping to fullback. Kurt Haupt replaced the injured Singleton at hooker but it was Irish who were rattled early on as they quickly went down to 14 men. Tiafilo Paolo was sin-binned for an off-the-ball, no-arms tackle on Alafotti Faosiliva, and Pennell landed the resultant penalty on three minutes. But the host came storming back as Alex Lewington chipped the ball over for Van Zyl, who was stopped by Bryce Heem. Warriors were penalised, though, and Tonks fired home the three-pointer to level the scores. With Paolo back on the field, Irish started to test their opponents and took the lead on 18 minutes thanks to another Tonks penalty. This was soon followed by the hosts' opening try as James Marshall gathered a poor kick from Ryan Mills and released that Van Zyl. The scrum half chipped, chased and slipped by a wrong-footed Hoogard to score. Tonks added the extras to put Irish 13-3 in front on 28 minutes. Warriors were coming under heavy pressure, but they held firm with G.J. Van Velzi making a valuable steal on the try line. Worcester's tenacious tackling was rewarded with a penalty down the other end, which Pennell dispatched to cut the deficit to 13-6 at half-time. Hugard hobbled off just before the break to be re- to be replaced by R, while Anton Bressler was introduced in place of Juncture O'Callaghan for the second period. But Warriors were struggling to curb their mistakes, and they soon offered a chance for Tonks to go for goal. The fly half missed the target, but he made amends moments later with a penalty on 53 minutes. Fortunately for Worcester, Irish were also making errors as they were penalised at the scrum and Pennell slotted home from the tee. But the away side rarely troubled the hosts in attack and when they did get in their opponents 22, a mistake cost them. In the final 10 minutes, Irish pressurised Worcester who kept gifting Tonks opportunities. After missing his first attempt, the number 10 made no mistake with his next and with one minute left, he added another to seal their first league win since September. Worcester City will apply for £300,000 or more of grant funding in order to get its Parsonage Way Stadium project off the ground. Director Mark Wilcox confirmed he had represented the club at meetings to explore the possibility of accessing cash to help City to return home. The club is in its fifth season in exile and took voluntary relegation to the Midland League in a bid to cut costs in the summer. The Football Foundation and Football Stadia Improvement Fund are the two main funding streams City will try to tap into to the tune of up to £300,000 with smaller sums potentially available from other sources. I've had meetings with the Worcestershire FA and Football Foundation to look at all of the opportunities available to us, says Wilcox. It is all looking very positive with regard to accessing the maximum available to support the new build. There are a number of grants we're looking at. 
the key is the one with the football foundation and potentially we could get 250,000 up to 300,000. We had a, a meeting last Tuesday and expect to get something back this week. Nothing is guaranteed until we put in the application and that cannot happen until we have planning permission, so there is a process to go through. The planning application will go in at the end of May or beginning of June and we hope it will be concluded by the end of September. Then there is a window to submit the grant application in October, which should lead to a decision at the end of December or middle of January. There are a number of conditions we need to look at, but we have discussed it in full with the Football Foundation. The level we are at caps what we can get and there would be potential for another 50,000 if we get promoted this season. There could be other funding streams too, but they would be in tens or thousands of pounds. From the meetings we've had, we foresee no obstacles in the way. The Worcester City Supporters Trust, which is pursuing an appeal over rejected plans for a proposed stadium at Purdeswell, has questioned how Parsonage Way will be financed. In November, City Chairman Anthony Hampson said the club could afford the, be the first phase of development, sufficient for the level of football we operate at now, and the level above from its existing situation. He added, should grants come through our partnership with the Worcestershire FA, then further scope would be considered. Asked what would happen if City's bid for grants failed, Wilcox said, we would just have to look at other funding streams, but I don't see any issues. Provided we hit each of the community aspects, I don't have any concerns. On Hampson's past comments, Wilcox said, it will need that grant funding to get things going. We haven't got all of the final costings in place and there will be some investment needed. We're trying to work with the Worcestershire FA and Council to look at all of the grants to get that initial phase built, which will be the minimum we need to get the club back operating in Worcester. When Anthony made those comments, we hadn't got back the topog topographic report. We still have to get the final costings. We have some initial reports back and are working with Zebra Architects, but until we have the final layout, we don't know the full extent of what additional funds are required. Hampson was unavailable for comment. With City's bid to return home subject to two main funding streams, we take a look at some of the basics involved with Football Foundation and Football Stadia Improvement Fund grants. Through the Foundation, the Premier League and FA Facilities Fund offers grants for building or refurbishing grassroots facilities for organisations with a focus on community engagement. It is available to football clubs, schools, councils and sports associations to improve facilities for football and other sport in local communities, sustain or increase participation regardless of background, age or ability, as well as helping to develop physical, mental, social and moral capacities through participation in sport. The 25-year secu security of tenure is required and the maximum available is £500,000 for applicants that must demonstrate a financial need and provide evidence that all available options for match funding have been exhausted. Applicants are expected to contribute their own funds towards the project and secure financial contributions from other funding organisations, including as much match funding as possible. The Football Stadia Improvement Fund criteria is more clear-cut, with £100,000 available for clubs at City's level, up to 50% of elements of a project. 
That would increase to £150,000 should City get promoted, but would still be limited to half of the cost of whatever aspects it financed. Clubs can access more with promotions, but the amount available for future works would have any grant awarded in the past five years deducted from it. And now, <clears throat> some cricket news. Worcestershire Academy ace Jack Haynes has been included in the first team squad for the pre-season camp in Abu Dhabi. The 17-year-old batsman will join up with the county's professionals for the 11-day trip, which gets underway on March the 8th. Malvern College pupil Haynes has been working with academy coach Elliot Wilson. He captained the Midlands side in the Bunbury's uh, in 2015 and was part of the squad squad who won the T20 competition 12 months later. Then last summer he played a major role in the Midlands completing a Super 4's 50 over and T20 double when Wilson coached to the side. Haynes skippered England schools under 16's on their tour of Sri Lanka last March and Worcestershire under 17's before making his second 11 debut later in the summer. Now he is to be given the opportunity to travel to the United Arab Emirates and reap the benefits of working alongside the senior pros. Last year, two other youngsters, in paceman Pat Brown, who went on to play the final four county championship matches, and batsman Josh Dell, were in the squad. New head coach Kevin Sharp said, Jack will be part of the squad going to Abu Dhabi and it is a wonderful opportunity for him to work with the pros and get some valuable experience. It has fallen at a time study-wise where he is able to take those few days away, and his family is very supportive of that. His dad, Gavin Haynes, is obviously a former player and coaches on the academy as well, so they are happy for him to go. Jack is going to be a fine young player. He is on the academy and has got great potential. He made scores as a 14 to 15 year old in practice matches pre-season among the pros and academy. He has got all that in the bag behind him and is a mature lad for his age. <clears throat> Sharp gave Haynes his debut in the seconds last season. He said the age scenario is not so much an issue for me as long as you know they're capable. Although he probably didn't make the scores he would have liked to have done last summer in the second level, second eleven, I'm sure he will do so in the future. Wicketkeeper batsman Alice, Alex Milton would also be part of the county squad for their now regular pre-season trip to the UAE. Milton signed his first professional contract at the end of last season. He is on a university scholarship for 2018, which the county are helping to finance as he completes his studies at Cardiff MCCU. The 21-year-old will then join up with staff at New Road full-time for the 2019 campaign. <coughs> Sharp said, Alex has managed his diary so he can come on the trip. He is a very conscientious young man. He is working very hard with his cricket and his uni stuff. He has got an important final year and is also uni cricket captain. He has got a lot on his plate but is coming with us and may do a bit of studying for an hour or two. Sharp said Pace duo Dylan Pennington and Adam Finch will be allowed to catch up with their studies while the squad is away after a busy winter with England under-19s. He said 
They've had such a long winter away from their studies. They've been to South Africa and then the Under-19s World Cup in New Zealand. They've missed a bit of school and uni time, so they just need a bit of a catch-up and probably need a bit of a break. Dylan and Adam are still young men and growing, and they need a bit of a break from it, although they are in and around the squad at the moment. Worcestershire will miss three of their senior players when they fly out to the UAE. Ross Whiteley will be in Pakistan Super League action, while Brett D'Oliveira and Joe Clark are on duty for the North versus South in a 50-over series in the Caribbean. An anti-Brexit battle bus touring the county, the country, has been in Worcester, but it wasn't the perfect visit for the city as the bus got stuck attempting to turn into Cathedral Square. Pro-European supporters have crowdfunded the bus with grassroots groups, including Worcestershire for Europe, supporting its whistle-stop tour. The Boris bus, which promised £350 million for the NHS if the UK voted leave, did the rounds in the run-up to the 2015 referendum. This bus is the same red colour, but with a very different message on its side, stating... Brexit to cost £2,000 million a week, says the government's own report, and poses the question, is it worth it? On arrival, the bus was forced into a reversal of its own as it attempted to turn right to the parking bay at Cathedral Square, only to get stuck. But when it did arrive, supporters, including a Boris Johnson impersonator, enthusiastically posed for pictures and chatted to supporters. Charles Seaford, one of the organisers of the 14-day national tour, said, We have been getting a lot of attention. We are not campaigning specifically for another referendum. We are providing the facts and people can make their own judgment. Jed Marson from the Worcestershire Group said, We are engaging with people, with the facts. The fact is employment is going up again and companies are not going to be able to afford to trade. They are not going to be able to afford goods. It's not on. Former Worcester MP Mike Foster, who has been a vocal supporter of Remain, was also at the event. It's important the voices of the 48% who didn't support Brexit are heard, he said. There is an increasing number of people who recognise that actually it's not quite as easy as they were led to believe. Is it worth it? Is a good question to ask. If it was decided to give people a say, which would be the first referendum on an actual deal now, we know what the terms are. If it came to that, I would welcome that referendum. The city's YMCA hostel could move into the site of a closed swimming pool if secret plans go ahead. Worcester City Council is in private talks with the YMCA about relocating its centre in Henwick Road. To the Sansom Walk swimming pool complex, which is due to be demolished. Hostel bosses plan to move out of their current building, which has been sold for student housing, by December 2019. City Councillor Joy Squires, who represents the area, added, I have serious doubts about the wisdom of placing so many young people with support needs in the Arboretum. I'd hope to see a range of affordable housing options considered for the Sansom Walk site, a view shared by my Labour colleagues. 
However, other members of the Policy and Resources Committee voted instead to pursue the YMCA hostel proposal. I always favoured affordable family housing for the site. Reacting to the revelations, Jane Morehouse, chair of the Arboretum Residents Association, said, The Arboretum is a very finely balanced area and I would be concerned about any project that would cause an imbalance. I'm not sure we can absorb people who perhaps have more social problems. Ms Morehouse, age 53, of Lowell Street, questioned why members of the public had not been consulted on the plans. She said she wants to meet YMCA staff to discuss the proposal. It is thought councillors voted to press ahead with the hostel option during a private section of the County Council's Policy and Resources meeting in November. County Councillor Matthew Jenkins, who also represents the area, said, I think it would have been better if there was a bit more openness about it. It's obvious there are pros and cons. A pro would be for the YMCA to have a building and to have it near the centre of Worcester would be a good thing. He said another perk of the proposal is that it would not increase traffic problems in the area as YMCA residents are less likely to have cars. However, the councillor added that some locals might be concerned about the site becoming a magnet for drug dealing. YMCA Worcestershire said it was pursuing a number of opportunities and the City Council said it had yet to receive a planning application. The pool shut last year. Following on from the earlier story about the stabbing, we have a follow-up. Two men have been arrested on suspicion of causing grievous bodily harm after the stabbing in St John's. One man was taken to hospital after an assault on um, Friday the 23rd of February in Sainsbury's car park in Swanpool Walk. Uh, two men have been arrested but now released and are under investigation. Detective Constable Edward Jones from West Mercia Police said investigations are currently ongoing to identify all those involved and obtain further information about what happened. We believe it to have been an isolated incident among people who are known to each other. However, I'd urged anyone who saw or heard it happening to come forward and share information to support our inquiries. A West Mercia police spokesman said the injuries were sustained from a bladed article. Harry Williams said he was the only witness to the incident. So we'll see what happens with that. Controversial bell tower will be built at a Worcester school as part of a new arts development. Christopher Whitehead College in St John's applied to build a new state-of-the-art performing arts centre with dance studios and a theatre. But to the dismay of many neighbours, it included a 24-metre bell tower with 12 bells, which could be used to teach pupils bell ringing and also be used by other ringers. Members of Worcester City Council's planning committee were told by a neighbour of the school, Rosie Chaxfield, that residents didn't object to the Performing Arts Centre, just the bell tower. She said, The right to peaceful enjoyment of our homes will be destroyed for us all. The noise will destroy the lives of everyone in this peaceful residential area. We are dependent on you to protect us all. The school's head teacher, Neil Morris, said, we desperately need this performing arts facility. Our motto is in pursuit of excellence. We want the best facilities and the best opportunities for our students. 
We are teaching dance and drama in the cafeteria. We can't offer A-level music at the moment and the school keeps growing. The committee felt conditions limiting use of the bells unmuffled to 12 periods of one hour per year would keep disruption to a minimum. The bells may not be rung without fully testing the noise mitigation measures of muffling them and keeping louvres on the tower shut were working. Councillor Mike Johnson said, I wasn't convinced about this until the site visit. I think the developers in our planning department have worked to make this an acceptable scheme. Councillor Pat Agar said, Worcester is a city of towers and bells. This is a very exciting development. Though if I was a resident, I'd definitely want those conditions in place. Councillor Bill Amos said, In an old established area, this ultra-modern tower is a step too far. I think it's totally inappropriate. Earlier, the councillors had visited a pub to hear a 12-bed bell peal played by the landlord who opposed the scheme. Residents gathered to oppose the application at the Brunswick Arms, opposite the school, playing the bells to councillors to show the effect the tower might have on them, claiming that the reported 112 decibel sound will disrupt their lives significantly. Planners heard a 12-bell soundtrack recorded in 2006 at the 12-bell striking contest held at Worcester Cathedral. Chris Hankins, landlord of the pub, said, Many people have a romantic wedding bell, Sunday morning opinion of church bell ringing. Fine. This proposal is a very different animal. 12-bell peals are non-musical mathematical progressions, relentless and monotonous to the ordinary man. That is why councillors need to hear 12-bell change ringing in order to make an informed decision. Most objectors believe that the cathedral bell ringers have placed undue influence on the school, insisting that if a 12-bell tower is not built, there will be no funding for the Performance Arts Centre. Be that as it may, the problem is that undue influence is not a planning concern. Sound pollution, on the other hand, is. Church bells are a special case. They are designed to catch people's attention above other noises and are raised high in a tower so they can be heard far and wide. The sound inside the bell tower starts off at 112 decibels, enough to give permanent hearing damage within minutes. Sound gradually diminishes with distance and the piece is accompanied by a picture of the proposed tower, very modernistic, curved and wooden cladded. Places are still available for the Walk the Blindfold Mile event being held in Malvern later this spring. The event, organised by County Base Site Concern, challenges participants to go out blindfolded for a mile and experience some of the obstacles that blind and partially sighted people overcome each day. Participants walk in pairs, one blindfolded, one sighted, along a route starting and ending at Malvern Cube and including the library, the priory, Malvern Theatres and Priory Park, swapping over along the way. There'll be a number of challenges en route related to everyday tasks. All are invited to take part on Saturday, April the 21st. There is a booking fee which includes an event t-shirt and tickets are available at malvernqube.com slash tickets. 
The event aims to involve at least 100 people and will help to raise money for Sight Concern, which ran a similar event in Worcester last year. Many of those taking part described it as a powerful and memorable experience. Ryan Hughes, aged 19, of Bransford, near Malvern, completed the walk with 24-year-old Ina Koski of Worcester. He said, It was a really difficult challenge, having your sight and then having it taken away it's very difficult to adapt to that situation. The event will be hosted by Site Concerns President Lady Morrison, Chair of Trustees John Parsons and Chief Officer Jenny Gage. Malvern Mayor Cynthia Palmer and Chris O'Donnell, Chairman of Malvern Hills District Council, have confirmed their participation. Site Concern Worcestershire supports blind and partially sighted people to lead independent and fulfilling lives. In Malvern, it runs the local, eyes, the local Eyes Support Group, which meets twice a month, offering information and advice, guest speakers and social activities, and a Malvern branch meeting on alternate weeks. For details, contact Jenny Douglas on 07722-630-217 or 01905-723-2. Waterside restaurants and bars came out on top of a wish list for ways people in Worcester would like to see the riverside improved. Residents and visitors walking along the river uh, were asked what they wanted to see after city councillors said they were looking at ideas to make the riverside more vibrant. Councillors keen to pull in more tourist cash heard the riverside is the jewel in the city's <coughs> crown and agreed it should be better. Arthur Greenlee, aged 53 from St John's, welcomed the news that the City Council was looking to invest but said a balance would need to be met to support city centre businesses. Perhaps it will be harder for bars and restaurants in the city during the summer if more people are eating and drinking on the riverside. Then in the winter it will be the opposite. Anybody visiting Worcester isn't going to want to sit near the river when it's freezing cold or snowing, like today. I definitely support the development, though. It certainly needs something. Gemma Painter from Downs Green would build more restaurants next to the river if it was her decision. A couple of restaurants would be great. It would look lovely sitting outside, eating a meal in the summer, she said. I definitely support the idea, and whatever brings more people to Worcester, I'll definitely get behind. Izzy Martley, a second-year student at the University of Worcester, said the riverside looks beautiful but would also like to see something that would attract more people to the city. I'm not from Worcester but would visit family a lot when I was younger. I've always liked the views along the river and it is nice walking alongside it to the city in the morning. It needs something though. I don't think the city uses it enough and it is definitely a jewel in the city's crown. Rambler Angie Smith, aged 53 from Evesham, said, I walk all over the country and along the river is certainly one of my favourite walks. I'll have to wait and see what they come up with. Perhaps a pub or two would be great, but they should be spaced out down the river. I don't think putting a high concentration of new buildings, whatever they are, pubs, restaurants, hotels, on one part of the river would be beneficial and then the rest just gets ignored. 
Chris Wise, who runs the Café 7 on the Quay, one of the few businesses already on the Riverside, supported the redevelopment proposal, but felt money should also be, be spent on attracting people who spend time on the river and for coaches travelling to the city. I'm all for it, but they've said before that they will redevelop the Riverside and spend a lot of money on a consultation more than 30 years ago. Alan and Judy Portman, who were visiting the city from Swansea, called the Riverside delightful, but felt it was being underused. There isn't much up and down the river, but I wouldn't want to see it spoilt by building things just for the sake of it, said Mr Portman. Some felt the area should be left alone, and summer floods would only cause further damage. The Riverside was one of the many reasons why 57-year-old Adam Warren decided to move to Worcester from Southampton, and he feels it should be left alone. I had a look around at a lot of places, and one of the main reasons I decided on Worcester was actually because of the views along the river, he said. Paul Dobson, age 53, from Worcester, said they should leave the area well alone. Every year the flooding is terrible, the water really deep and dangerous. If they want to do something that can stop the flooding, then that would make it better. So, a mix of opinions on that one. We watch this space. A historical city project that scooped the Community Involvement Award in the 2017 Worcestershire Education <coughs> Awards is hoping to reclaim the title. As nominations continue to rush in for the 2018 Worcestershire Education Awards, Paul Harding of Discover History, which provides professional history workshops and activity days to schools and care homes alongside Helen Lee, has spoken of the group's fantastic year and his desire to hang on to the title. Mr Harding said, It has been a fantastic year. We couldn't believe we had won. It was an honour just to be nominated. When we found out we had actually won the award, we were overwhelmed. It is the first proper award we have received for doing what we love to do. It has been really good. A lot of people have congratulated us on the award and people saw us in the newspaper and we've had the award listed on our website. We are all about community involvement and educating everybody, not just those in schools. We hold sessions with people of all ages, including with people in care homes. He added, it was actually the care homes that nominated us. Speaking on the group's motto, he said, we believe in being inclusive Education does not stop when you leave school. When asked if he thinks the group will be able to retain this title, he said it would be really worthwhile to win again, but we will have to wait and see. Mr Harding run the group, runs the group, founded in 2003 with Helen Lee. To find out more or to book a session with Discover History, go to discover-history.co.uk. Police have reiterated their warning for residents to be on their guard for scam calls after recent incidents. The Worcester News reported on two incidents in which criminals posed as police sergeants and conned victims into handing over cash. In the first incident, a man in his 70s received a call to his landline from two men posing as police sergeants claiming to be from the fraud squad and later the victim handed money to a courier. 
In the second, a couple in their 80s received a call from a man claiming to be a police officer from London and money was also handed to a courier. A Worcester man who wished to remain anonymous has said he received a similar scam call to his landline on Wednesday. He said two people with Jamaican accents posed as Detective Sergeant Clark and Police Constable Evans from the Met Police Serious Crime Unit. They claimed money had been taken out of my account which had been spent in London, he said. They asked who I banked with and how much money should be in the account. I said, I don't think you're a real copper. That was as far as it went and I hung up. The man added he didn't hand over any cash and had contacted West Mercia Police. South Worcestershire Integrated Offender Management Team has again warned people to be aware of scam calls, tweeting, Scotland Yard won't call and ask you to help investigate a crime which involves you buying a £10,000 watch, later collected by a fake cop. This is a scam. Please warn elderly relatives. On the recent scam calls, Sergeant Police Hallam, West Mercia Police, said, We are urging members of the public, particularly those who are elderly, to be vigilant against potential fraudsters. If you are unfortunate enough to be the victim of a crime, please get in touch as we can only help if we are aware of it. Anyone with information on the calls is asked to phone West Mercia Police on 101. The annual budget for Worcester City Council is around £10 million and people parking cars, lorries and buses in the city, whether properly or badly, contribute more than a third of that money. Worcester City Council received more than £3 million in parking fees from people parking in its car parks in the last financial year. The £3,144,680 it received from people paying for pay-and-display tickets was an 8% increase on the budgeted figure of £2.9 million. Parking charge notices issued in 2016 and 17 also brought in £421,860, which means that parking brought in more than £3.5 million to the Guildhall last year. Councillors on the City Authority's Income Generation Subcommittee were looking at what the council made and from where in order to see how it could make even more money to put towards the services it runs. Councillor Chris Mitchell said, We shouldn't get too hung up on percentage increases. We could work to bring a 40% increase in an item and that could raise only a few thousand pounds whereas a 1% increase in parking fees would bring in £30,000. It's possible that we've gone as far as we can go with car parks, in which case we'll look at something else. One idea put forward was advertising the council's rooms for hire at the Guildhall and the commandery on the back of pay and display tickets. Councillor Roger Berry said, For years, tickets issued in our car parks have said on the back, You can advertise here and I've never seen an advert on them. Why don't we promote the commandery on the back? Funerals were also one of the council's money spinners, with burials, cremations and other funeral charges and fees, bringing in a total of £1.6 million, meaning more than half of the council's income comes from funerals and parking. But outdoors activity seems to be dropping off. 
Hire of council-owned pitches brought in £15,600 last year, a £2,000 drop on the previous year, and a third less than what had been budgeted for. And £30,000 came from allotment fees, which was again less than the previous year and less than was forecast. The Worcester site has been shortlisted for a national award. Diglis is one of ten places across the country to have been shortlisted for the inaugural Britain's Best Walking Neighbourhood Award, organised by the Ramblers charity. The final selection were chosen based on public nominations and people now have until 14th of March to vote online for their favourite. Diglis is a former brownfield site located around half a mile south of the city centre on the banks of the River Severn. Amanda Ely, who has been part of the Ramblers Association for three years, nominated Diglis for the award alongside her husband, Mike. Mrs Ely, who has an apartment overlooking Diglis Water, said, I'm very pleased it has been shortlisted for the award. It met all of the criteria the Ramblers were looking for, and I live here and it is a fantastic place. I remember when this was an industrial eyesore, so I think it is fabulous for the area. She added, it is a very walker-friendly, user-friendly and commuter-friendly. Councillor Lynn Denham, who represents Cathedral Ward, said, I'm absolutely delighted Worcester has been nominated for a national award. I really hope the people of Worcester get behind it and vote for Diglis. We hope more people will discover our waterways. The Worcester and Birmingham Canal starts in Diglis, where it is connected to the Severn. The development of new homes on the derelict industrial site prompted a complete renovation of the riverside. A footbridge installed in 2010 completes a circular walk to the centre of Worcester, with paths on both sides of the river creating direct routes to the city. The council has invested in improving the green space around Diglis in recent years, recognising the area and its network of walking and cycling routes. To vote for Diglis, visit ramblers.org.uk and click the Get the Involved tab. A Worcester playgroup celebrated its 50th anniversary in the city. London Road Playgroup and Preschool marked the golden anniversary in style with a party. Youngsters enjoyed traditional party games, a treasure hunt to find gold coins and a special celebration cake embossed with, a, with the nursery's teddy bear logo. The setting opened its doors in 1968 and has been in operation at the same site at St Martin's Parish Centre, Victoria Avenue for 50 years. Manager Fliss Rothery said... London Road is one of the longest-serving early years settings in Worcester and 50 years is certainly an achievement to be recognised and celebrated. She added, as one little person said, this is the best party ever. Here's to the next 50 years. For more information on the setting, go to lrpg.co.uk or visit London Road Playgroup and Preschool on Facebook. Now, here's a reminder about your £10 notes. Don't forget to check in your piggy banks and down the back of the sofa because old-style £10 notes are going out of circulation as of the 1st of March. 
The new polymer tenors were introduced in September last year, with old paper notes still in use. But from the deadline, you won't be able to spend your notes in shops or restaurants. If you want to swap the old notes for, over for new tender, you will have to make the trip into a bank, building society or post office. It is possible that a high street bank will stop exchanging them after the cut-off date, cut date, but the Bank of England is legally obliged to. You can either do this in person or via post. Although if you post it to the Bank of England, you do so at the sender's risk. Polymer banknotes are reportedly more environmentally friendly and also have Braille-style bumps which help people who are blind or visually impaired. A shop assistant tackled two robbers during a raid on a Worcester mobile phone shop, taking pictures of them on his phone. Lucian Stoica, originally of Romania, admitted robbery at Carphone Warehouse in Shrub Hill Retail Park when he appeared at Worcester Crown Court. The court heard how the 31-year-old of Mead Crescent, Birmingham, was challenged by shop worker Mark Rouse, who took photos of the suspect and warned him he would call the police during the incident on November the 9th last year. Mr Rouse told Worcester News how he didn't think twice about confronting the pair, one of whom, he said, was armed with a knife, but insisted he didn't do anything heroic. We see thefts all the time, so I was aware they were a bit dodgy, and you get sick of trying to stop it, said Mr Rouse, 30. Stoica and his accomplice, who has yet to be identified, stole or damaged three phones worth nearly £2,500. Mr Rouse said, I went and stood by them, and they were just chatting away. I couldn't understand what they were saying. One started pulling the phone out of the demonstration display, so I leant over to stop them, and the other one pushed me back. Mr Rouse, who now works at the Worcester High Street branch, said, One of them did have a knife that he was using to cut the cords attached to the demonstration handsets. A lot of people misinterpreted that as me being held up by a knife, he said. I got my phone out and said I'll ring the police and I started taking photos of them. There was nothing I could do at that point. In that situation, they tell us not to try and stop it. I'm not going to take on two guys. Once they left the store, they went and jumped in their car to get away and ended up scraping six cars down the side, he continued. There was an old woman who almost got knocked over. Michael Connery, prosecuting, said Stoica and the other male had been in the shop in what he described as a targeted theft, which turned into a robbery once Mr Rouse intervened. He said... They aroused suspicion because they matched descriptions of males that had been reported previously at other car phone warehouses. Mr Rouse asked them if the two men were okay, to which they replied, they were just looking. Mr Connery added, he saw the defendants trying to get one of the phones out of the bracket and he told Mr Stoica to stop. The other man said to Mr Rouse, don't stop us. They were working as a team. Mr Rouse's response was to say he was calling the police. He took out his mobile phone and took some pictures of the defendant. There was then a struggle. Mr Rouse was pushed and the two men were said to have tried to wrestle one of the mobile phones off the wire to which it was attached.
cracking the glass. The two men made off with two mobile, fo- two mobile phones and damaged a third. The total loss for the three mobile phones was put at £2,497. The two stolen phones were never retrieved. The court heard how Stoica was convicted of similar theft offences following two incidents at mobile phone shops, including one in Doncaster on January the 4th. He had been on bail for the Worcester offence when he committed those thefts. Stoker had a previous conviction for fraud and five theft and kindred offences on his record. Peter Fleming, defending, said the offence was intended to be a theft rather than a robbery, but conceded Mr Rouse had been pushed. He said it was a low-level robbery using minimum force. He's been in the country for some time and has worked previously for a logistics company, a parcel delivery company in the Birmingham area, he said. Stoica was also interviewed by a probation officer telling him he was a married man with a two-month-old daughter. The probation officer said Stoica placed the blame for what happened on the other man he was with and claimed he thought he was initially coming to Worcester to buy a mobile phone. Judge Robert Dukes QC said, The picture I have been presented with is of a man who, for whatever reason, has decided that the theft of mobile phones is a profitable sideline. I accept you were working at the relevant time. Judge Duke said Stoker's offending was plainly a pattern and described the Worcester offence as a theft committed audaciously. He added, I reject completely that you had no idea of what you were doing. You plainly went in there to steal because Mr Rouse was immediately suspicious of what you were doing and the way you were behaving. Judge Dukes jailed Stoica for 30 months and ordered him to pay a £170 court charge. The Mayor of Worcester will swap his chain of office for a ripcord and jump out of a plane at 12,000 feet. Councillor Steve Mackay has agreed to the unusual challenge in a bid to raise £500 for three local charities. He said, I do have a few butterflies, but it's a personal challenge and a great way of raising funds for what I think are three really important charities, and I hope Worcester people will support me. Councillor Mackay is hoping to raise funds for Headway Worcestershire, a local charity supporting people affected by brain injury. He will also raise money for victim support an independent charity for people affected by crime and traumatic events, and Onside Advocacy, a local organisation which ensures that those having either physical or mental ill health issues will be well represented and are not discriminated against. He said, I have personal connections with all these charities and I know they provide important support for many vulnerable people who are not in a good place and often can't always speak up for themselves. It's a slightly daunting experience for me, but I'll be doing a tandem jump with an experienced paratrooper strapped to my back, so I'm sure everything will go well. I'll only actually be given any training on the morning of the jump. How have I been preparing in the meantime? I'm trying not to think about it. The Mayor will carry out the challenge at a site in Wiltshire run by the Royal Electrical Mechanical Engineers on Wednesday the 7th of March. Anyone interested in supporting him can do so by visiting uk.virginmoneygiving.com and search for Steve Mackay. 
a benefits cheat who admitted a £48,000 fraud after failing to declare she had a home in London during a decade-long deception, has been spared an immediate prison sentence. Sarah Kane of Pippinfield, Warnden Villages, was handed a 14-month prison sentence, suspended for two years at Hereford Crown Court. She has yet to sell her London home to free up cash to pay back the money she swindled from the state, claiming she cannot put the house on the market because a tenant is still living there. The 51-year-old admitted five counts of benefit fraud over a period of 10 years. She made a dishonest representation to obtain benefit for herself, housing and council tax benefit, making a false statement towards the City Council in that she failed to provide information that she had capital in the form of a property in Marathon Way, London. The first count on the indictment was from January the 9th, 2007, and the last count relate, related to a like offence of benefit fraud on February the 16th, 2017. Yeah, go on, go on. A sofa, an umbrella, a plastic box and a toy pram are among the dozens of items dumped near the canal behind Offerton Lane in Worcester. Warndon residents allege the mess, which was spotted on Sunday, February the 18th, has been caused by travellers who are located on a nearby site. One resident, who asked not to be named, said, There's always been rubbish in this area, but this is the worst I've seen it. The placement is too far for anyone to carry it all, so it looks like it's been thrown over the fence. They added, there is a traveller's site along there. The Worcester News reported last week that rubbish was spilling out of a large wheelie bin and dumped around it outside the Farmer's Boy pub in Tolodyne Road. Following this, site owner Mohammed Altaf paid for subcontractors to clear the site. Previously in January, piles of rubbish and unwanted goods were dumped in Warnden Lane, Worcester. Worcester City Council and Worcestershire County Council say the mess is not their responsibility. The Canal and River Trust was unavailable for comment. Last month, the council put out a warning to residents that people caught fly tipping would be prosecuted. A city council spokesman said fly tipping is a criminal act. People caught illegally dumping waste can be fined up to £50,000 or face five years in prison. We will investigate all incidents of fly-tipping and prosecute offenders where sufficient evidence is available. According to the latest government figures from 2016 to 17, there were over a million fly-tipping incidents throughout Britain. This led to a total clearance cost of over £57.5 million, but offenders were also fined a total of nearly £723,000. If members of the public spot someone fly-tipping, Worcester City Council has urged them to take down as many relevant details as possible, including vehicle registrations. To report incidents of fly-tipping, visit worcester.gov.uk forward slash report hyphen it or call 01905 well, that concludes our stories for this week. Time is running out. So on behalf of Sally, Ian and Duncan, it just remains for me, Elizabeth Hill, 
to sign off and hope you all have a good week and stay warm. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye.